Welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the what podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. I'm Tara. And I'm Cassidy. Thank you so much for listening today. We have an amazing show coming up. We're going to talk all things L.A., when it comes to basketball with Sabrina Merchant, who covers the Lakers for Silver Screen and Roll, the Clippers for Clip Nation, and the Sparks for The Athletic. Welcome to the show, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me on. It's nice to be back. Well, we are excited to talk to you today. And as usual, we're going to get started with a little icebreaker, but I think it'll be a little different today. So what is your favorite thing to do in L.A.? And for Tara and I, what would we want to do if we were coming to visit L.A.? My favorite thing to do in LA is eat tacos, just all the time. (laughs) Every time I leave LA for even like a week at a time, I am so disappointed by the quality of tacos anywhere else. (laughs) So Taco Tuesday is really every day of the week? It's every day of the week, yeah. So is there like an LA style taco or like what makes them special down there? I think we have a pretty solid variety of things you know uh because it's la and like you can have outdoor businesses there's just a bunch of like little stands that you can find even in like residential neighborhoods that are just serving tacos at all hours of the day um which is just fantastic (laughs) yeah what's your favorite kind (laughs) um i don't know i think just like a standard asada taco you know with some cilantro and onions on it you like the like the the bold and simple just like yeah forward Yep. Don't need to overcomplicate it too much. Nice. How about you, Cassidy? Well, funny that you should say tacos, because I was going to say do nothing but eat tacos. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I feel like that would be an amazing way to experience the city plus tacos, which I am always for. So breakfast tacos, dinner tacos, lunch tacos, snack tacos, walking tacos, all tacos are good with me. (laughs) how about you tara well i wasn't gonna say tacos but now i'm ready to go have some (laughs) my my question was kind of selfish because i'm my uh my husband mr team mom and i are contemplating possibly going to la for a game but Mm. it used like our old plan used to be go down there and catch a clippers game because clippers tickets are cheap but i imagine that's probably not the case. I don't know if it ever was the case or whether or not that is the case now. What's the situation for tickets down there? I would say up until July 6th, that was the case. (laughs) But they're still cheaper than Lakers tickets, if that means anything. (laughs) Okay, so they're still a little bit cheaper. Yeah, so, and the other thing about me is I am just like a TV junkie. So if I was going to LA, I would just seek out any and all, um, you know, location shoots for TV shows that I love. So I would be the person like stopping and buying all of the maps and totally falling for it. If people came up to me and were like, Hey, do you want to see the park where white men can't jump was filmed? And like, I have no idea if that was even filmed in LA, but I'd be like, yes. And I would totally believe it. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So if I go down there, you'll have to like warn me like (laughs) how to avoid all of that. I have some spots for you to check out if you ever want to do that. Right on. Well, I will. I still think it would be super fun to go down there for a game. What is what is the um, like, I guess in the past, it was very different. Um, 
was there was probably a big difference between a Laker game and a Clipper game. Are you, what are you expecting to happen this season, or has that been changing? You know, since like Steve Ballmer took over. I think we're going to see a bigger change this year in the Clippers fan base than there has been over the last five years that Ballmer's been in charge. I still think with Clipper crowds, you tend to get like the people who aren't Laker fans, like LA transplants, but also people who aren't necessarily Clipper fans. They're just there to see basketball, but there might be a more dedicated Clippers fan base if this team performs to its potential. So do you ha- so I'm kind of wondering has there been like a rivalry in the past between the two teams or has it kind of been like the Lakers and the other team and I'm wondering if you think maybe that could change this year. So I absolutely think it's been like a Lakers big brother Clippers little brother kind of thing where the Lakers kind of forget they even have a little brother most of the time. Like last year uh they held their media days on the same day and I don't know if you saw this picture circling around Twitter but like you know, it was LeBron James's first media day and the Lakers had just hundreds and hundreds of people in El Segundo and the Clippers, there's just open chairs, you know, in their practice facility, <laughs> um, which there's like a little joke now to see if they're going to try to schedule them the same day this year to see if people would actually have to choose. But I wouldn't say there was a rivalry really at all. I mean, first of all, I think like you need a playoff series to build any rivalry. Just sharing a building doesn't really do the trick and they've never been in the playoffs so it's kind of hard to create something that way. Uh, every so often, like, I don't know, you'll hear like a little battle for L.A. thrown in in like a postgame comment just because it's a good little marketing nugget to promote around. But I don't think these two teams have ever really thought of each other as like someone that they needed to beat. You know, for so long, the Lakers just obliterated them. You know, the Clippers had no success. And then over the last few years, the Clippers have been completely dominant over the Lakers in the regular season, but like to what avail, like it's not, a, they've made any postseason success out of it. So you've heard like some jabs coming like subtle jabs from each side after this Kawhi Leonard and Paul George business. So it's possible that we could get the start of a rivalry this year. And I think that would be great for both teams, but I can't say that there's anything to build on at this point. Yeah, I've wondered about kind of how that has changed since Steve Ballmer took over. I mean, I just generally have a lot of questions about Steve Ballmer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, he was, you know, certainly excited um about the team as we all saw in the introductory <laughs> press <laughs> press conference. Um, but you know, it seems to me that like, you know, like you said this is the first time in a long time where um the uh I mean, Hopefully with Anthony Davis, the Lakers will actually be more on par with the Clippers at this point. But I'm fascinated. Like, I can't believe they never they haven't ever played each other in a playoff series. That's that's really interesting. Um, this is a really long winded way of getting to like, what's Steve Ballmer like in person? <laughs> so I think I mean, what you see in those press conferences is like, pretty much exactly what he's like in person, just <laughs> super energetic all the time, like, genuinely loves to be part of this team. And I mean, I can't say I've ever had any like one-on-one personal interaction with him, but like every time I see him like at Staples Center, he's just, again, just like super excited all the time. And I think like he recognizes his good fortune that he gets to be one of these 30 people that owns an NBA franchise. 
Yeah, and I guess also, you know, on a lot of people's mind right now is, you know, after the Sterling stuff, you know, sort of his responsibility to, like, usher them into a new era Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, usher – but it's interesting, like, not having that giant historical fan base that the the Lakers did. It's more like, I guess, this is an opportunity to bring on a whole bunch of new people. Um, and build up that fan base now, finally, like now that they have some superstars. Well, I guess they had superstars before, but even more super <laughs> stars exactly. than they did at the beginning. Well, we've kind of started off by talking about um, the Clippers. So let's just dive into the Clippers. And I'll, I'll do the Clippers questions, Cassie, if you want to take over the Lakers after a sounds little bit. Good. Okay, that sounds cool. Um, so let's start with starting with the Clippers. One of the things that, um, you know, is interesting, I think, about the Clippers, they've had Doc Rivers in there for a really long time. And I don't know about you two, but for me personally, like, my feelings about Doc Rivers have changed a lot over the years. Like, you know, he just always seemed like, you know, kind of a, you know, a a loud, old school, you know, um, you know, I guess old school is kind of a guy, but watching him in Los Angeles stick by this team and stick like be kind of like a rock through the turmoil that all this team has gone through is really um, I've really started to admire him as a coach and as you know as a leader and now he has added uh, Ty Lue to the team which I think is a really interesting addition so um, what's gonna what's going on with Ty Lue what's he gonna bring and you know what are people saying about um, Ty Lue being added uh, to the coaching staff so the Tyler thing is pretty funny because, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody knows the backstory, but at the start of the offseason, the Lakers thought that Tyler was going to be their next coach. And through some really strange bungling of those negotiations, that did not happen. And now he's the lead assistant for Doc Rivers, which he was back in 2013-14 before he went to Cleveland. So this is a position that he's familiar with. He's been on the Clippers before. He's worked with Doc before. And I think everyone agrees that Tyloo is a pretty creative offensive head coach, which, I mean, the Clippers were a really good offense this year, but it's just a, a different, a different tactic. You know, when you have those superstars, right? Like I think when people watched the Lob City Clippers, there was kind of a sense that the whole was never really greater than the sum of the parts. And that's kind of what they're hoping to avoid this year, which just having as many coaches with championship medal as possible in the room, which Ty Lue is one of those guys, can only help. Um, I don't think that they hired Ty Lue because the Lakers wanted him, but it is really funny that they did. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's it's not going to go unnoticed that when they play the Lakers and Ty Lue's, you know, standing on the bench and LeBron James walks by, like, those two guys are so close and they're on opposite sides now. So... It's it's a nice little added dimension into this potential rivalry, but I think the the basketball reasons for hiring Ty Lue are far more important than whatever little drama it can create. Yeah, I guess if if I was you know gonna um, give the um, give the nod to one of the coaching teams at least right now at the beginning, I would look at the coaching team of the you know the who's coaching the Clippers and think, wow, they're in um, much more established hands, I guess, uh, than than the Lakers are. Um, and then also there's the fact that you know Ty, like you said, Ty Lue knows LeBron James so well. 
And, you know, can he bring anything coaching wise into like teaching, you know, the players on the Clippers what the if there are any tricks <laughs> to, um, you know, finding a weakness with LeBron James, I guess he's probably somebody who would know how to do that. Um Okay, so what do you what does it look like the starting lineup is going to be for the Clippers? So I think they're going to start Pat Beverly at point guard, then Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as the two wings. Uh, I think Jamichael Green is going to be the starting power forward, and then Ivica Zubac is going to be the starting center. And then that leaves Doc Rivers with his you know favorite five out bench lineup. So you've got Lou Williams and Montrell Montrezl Harrell, and then. Probably some combo of like Landry Shamit, Rodney Magruder, and Mo Harkless rounding out that bench unit. Does he like to do? Um, does he have like a pretty predictable pattern of substitution? Yeah, it was it was fairly clear during um, this last season that uh, like the first two subs off the bench would be Lou and Montrez, and then eventually by the start of the second quarter, it would be a full five reserve lineup, and then three more starters would come back in, and Lou and Harold would pretty much close out the half. So with the uh, with the players on the team, it doesn't look like Lou or Montrez Harrell will be do- starting. They'll continue to come off the bench. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they're uh, entrenched in those sixth and seventh man roles. Who do you think is going to be um, overall like the third and fourth most important players behind, you know, Mo Harkless and uh, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard. No, behind <laughs> behind Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Oh yeah, like, I forgot about Mo Harkless, right? The dear departed Blazer. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we'll talk about him in a sec. <laughs> so I think um, closing lineup will probably be like uh, George Leonard, Lou Harrell, and then like maybe Beverly if they need a little defense at the point of attack. Maybe Shamit if they want to space the floor a little bit more. Um, maybe like you know. Harkless or Green if they need to go a little bit bigger. Um, but I would say those four, like Lou Harrell, um, George, and Leonard are going to be that core four in the closing lineup of important games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, often when I'm talking um, to people, I say, like, you know, who are fans most excited about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's probably, I would guess, you know, Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> but are there, like, is there a, a critical mass of fans for the Clippers right now that you could say who behind those two guys are, people are most excited about? I mean, I think like Beverly earned like a, a pretty impressive fandom last year just because of how hard he plays and how he sort of needles opponents a little bit, you know, and sort of represents that LAR way marketing that the Clippers are trying to promote. Like, you know, the, the blue collar compared to the Lakers like Showtime. So Beverly is definitely a guy that this fan base really loves. Uh, I think <laughs> one of their favorites was actually Shea Gildas Alexander, but that's no longer the case. Uh, but yeah, everybody loves Lou and Montrez too, just because Montrez, like you see how hard he plays all the time. And Lou is just universally beloved for some reason. <laughs> He's just like the coolest guy in the NBA. <laughs> Both of them are both of them are fun to watch. I mean, I enjoyed watching a lot of the players last year on the Clippers. Um, what are the expectations from fans around uh, for Mo Harkless? So, when the Clippers originally acquired him in that trade, the the whole Miami Hassan Whiteside thing, I thought that Harkless would be the starting power forward, but when they brought back to Michael Green and at a discount too, it seems to me that. 
the only reason he would agree to a lower salary figure is because he was getting a bigger role, um, which is what makes me think that Jermichael Green is going to be starting. But what's interesting about Mo Harkless is that I thought like one of the primary things he provided in Portland was he was a really solid wing defender, but that's like the last thing the Clippers need <laughs> because they have the two best in the league, arguably. So, I mean, I, I see him getting regular minutes. I just don't know what he provides that the Clippers don't already have in a better package. I mean, he's a national treasure. <laughs> he has a great <laughs> smile and he looks really good in a headband. I will say that the, the Mo Harkless story that immediately sticks out to me is that when he stopped taking threes at the end of that season to keep his 35%. <laughs> Yeah, that apparently was a true story. He didn't want to uh, shoot and miss you know, one and he, go under. <laughs> I am all for keeping your bonuses. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> right. I mean, I I always thought the 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 key to Mo Harkless was like was his motivation and mm-hmm. um you know having somebody there who can uh, help him tap into his motivation because. When he's on, he can really, really, really be on. Mm-hmm. But it's some it's it's like there's a formula that you have to get to for that to all kick in. And like once you figure out the formula, then you're good. But I think it takes a little while. So I'll be interested, really interested to see how he does um uh with the Clippers. I think the last time Mo Harkless played in Staples Center was that last game of the season against the Lakers, right? Or the second to last where he hit the game winning three pointer. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that correctly? That might be right. Yeah. I can't think of another game. I think that was the day Magic Johnson resigned. That was a big day in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Portland has this weird, um, you know, co- coincidence of like big things happening after they play <laughs> the Lakers. <laughs> like it was very, it was like right after. Um, Portland played the Lakers that Kobe said, this is, this is it. I'm going to retire. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm. yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you ask Laker fans, I'm sure they would, you know, talk about the Blazers or the Spurs as far bigger rivals than the Clippers. Well, every all that uh, every Laker up. fan that I've talked to when I say, so what do you think about the rivalry of between Portland and Lakers? And they laugh in my face. Ah. <laughs> They're like, you're not our rivals. Come back with a real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, is there, are there any other storylines with the Clippers that you are really interested in seeing how they play out this season? So I think the, the thing to start the season is how hurt Paul George's shoulder really is because there hasn't been given a timeline of when he's expected to come back. And I mean, I don't even think the Clippers are expecting him to be healthy for training camp. And it's not like they don't have depth. Like they could easily just put Landry Shamit or somebody else into the starting lineup at the two in place of George. And that would be a perfectly legitimate lineup. But in order for them to reach their, you know, fully realized ceiling, they need the Paul George of like January and February from last year in Oklahoma city And he's gone through a lot of surgeries, so I just wonder what his health is like and if the Clippers got, like, the 100% version of Paul George or something a little bit less than that. And it was both shoulders, right? Yeah, I think he had surgery on both shoulders, yeah. Yeah, that was a hot topic on the the TV shows that were on like ESPN and NBA Mm -hmm. TV today was suddenly everyone speculating about 
um, Paul George's shoulder and, you know, will he be able to come back? And I heard one, and I, I can't remember if it was Kevin Pelton or somebody was saying that, um, you know, shoulder injuries are one of the ones that seem to have less course correlation between, you know, somebody more likely that people can get back to their regular previous level after mm. a shoulder injury than after other injuries. But I don't know if he was talking about two shoulder injuries. Yeah. Um, what about Kawhi's health? So Kawhi said um, at his introductory press conference that the only reason that he didn't play every game last season was because he came into the season not fully recovered, right? So he didn't expect to be sitting out games regularly, you know, doing the load management thing. But I think that the Clippers are, you know, being smart with themselves. They're going to sit him like 12 games anyway. So even though he says he's healthy, which is good because he hasn't said that since 2016, 17, maybe. A long time ago. Yeah, it's been a while, right? Three teams ago. Uh, I I still think the Clippers are going to be very conservative with him. Like, they've, they had a good run of health last year. You know, Danilo Gallinari had his best year in terms of number of games in quite a while. So there's definitely an infrastructure in place where Kawhi should feel comfortable, but I'm not, I'm not worried about his health. I just don't think it's reasonable for him to play like 80 games just because nobody does. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not unless you're like Damian Lillard, I guess. Yeah, I think he yeah. even missed a game. He missed a few games this year. And CJ actually missed games too, which was kind of a, kind of a surprise. Yeah. I think Dame um, would have missed more had CJ not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so, and uh, how is Kawhi adjusting to the uh, L.A. lifestyle? Is that, um, has he been seen about town or um, are people expecting to just like have him be Kawhi <laughs> about? I think the expectation is he's just going to sort of fade into like the Clippers shadow because there's already so much oxygen being dominated by the Lakers that even though this is such a big media market, he can kind of not be the primary guy because LeBron James is still here. I mean, the only thing I've heard about Kawhi Leonard over the last month is that he was, you know, partnering with the Clippers on this initiative to give away backpacks. That's, that's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good great. job. Doing good work. On the flip side, we've got the Lakers. And um, it's kind of funny because Tara and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, We both kind of forgot that Frank Vogel (laughs) was the new head coach of the Lakers. Uh, I think we both heard Jason Kidd's name a lot more than Vogel's name. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying and I'm just like wondering what is what's the talk around Frank Vogel? So I think the expectation is that when the Lakers hit their first rut four months into the season that he'll be fired and Jason (laughs) Kidd will take the job. which, you know, is, is just the kind of situation that every head coach wants to walk into, right? That that level of stability. Um, <laughs> like, why would he take that job? I I saw, like, um, when you guys, you know, told me what you want to talk about, like, uh, what sort of impression Frank Vogel's made. And, like, I, too, had forgotten that Frank Vogel was <laughs> in, this, in this setup. And, like, this is a team that I, you know, normally cover. Uh, but my assumption is that, you know, Frank Vogel's last job was in Orlando. It didn't go very well. And even if, you know, he gets fired halfway through the season, like no one will blame him. They will all blame the Lakers crazy, crazy organization for putting him in a position to fail. So this is a win-win for him. If he does well, he's the guy who, you know, gave LeBron James a third act. 
And if he doesn't do well, it's like, oh, well, there was no way he was ever going to do well. It's a win-win, really, I guess. Yeah. I I kind of feel bad for him. <laughs> like, I mean, he also gets to coach LeBron James yeah. and Anthony Davis, which is cool, which is a very cool job. Yeah, he has a cool job. He's fine. He's fine. I don't really feel bad. Um, it's just like another little um, interplay that the Lakers and the Clippers have because he was the one that brought out the best in Paul George. Oh, man, this is oh, I really hope this becomes a rivalry. There's so many like little intertangling webs between the two teams. Yeah. Um, so Jason Kidd, who we've all heard about, uh, <laughs> what is he supposed to be bringing to this coaching team besides possibly taking over in four months? So it's funny when Jason Kidd was first hired, uh, they said that they really liked the way Jason Kidd developed young players in Milwaukee. And I guess like on the surface, that's true, right? They had a very young team when he first got there and they overperformed like with Jabari and uh, Giannis. And when the Lakers hired him, they had Lonzo and Ingram and Josh Hart. And now they don't have any young players. So if that's why he was hired, it seems like there's no more role for him to play. <laughs> other than <laughs> and the fact how much that better was... did they get? I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, he definitely wasn't a very good in-game coach in Milwaukee. Like those decisions left something to be desired, but. I don't think you can completely take him away from the development that those guys experienced there. Uh, I, you know, some credit has to be assigned there. I, I don't know how much, but like something's got to be there. And if the Lakers still had, you know, four core young players and he wasn't the head coach, I kind of see the logic there. Like at least there's a theory for why you hire him. But at this point, it's just, oh, LeBron loves Jason Kidd because they played together on the 2008 Olympic team he's going to be fine if he's the head coach. That feels like how a lot of decisions are, are made just from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. I, I from a not so outsider's perspective, I would agree with that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Jason Kidd baffles me. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, he's technically not like the, the associate head coach. Like that wasn't the title that he was given. I don't know that that makes any difference. Um, is there an associate head also coach? there, which like, I guess adds a little more gravitas to the staff, but wait, who is that? Lionel Hollins. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh. Who I think was also involved with some sort of Jason Kidd nonsense in Brooklyn. I can't really remember. Though. <laughs> there's, there's just been so much Jason Kidd nonsense. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was one of the terms of Frank Vogel being hired was that he would, consent to Jason Kidd being on his staff and he took the job knowing those conditions. So this is where we are. Well, there we are. And <laughs> now the Lakers have Dwight Howard. Um, so kind of what was the reaction with fans when they brought Howard back? And I'm kind of wondering why would you pick Dwight Howard over maybe somebody like Joachim Noah, who's not picked up yet? Sure. So I think the consensus among most Lakers fans, uh, or at least this is how like, my general circle was feeling, when the Dwight Howard, you know, wants to rejoin the Lakers, he's in like the best of his life for the seventh summer in the row, blah, blah, blah. When all that stuff came out, it just seemed like his agent was doing a lot of hard work to get him out of Memphis. And I honestly thought there was like a 1% chance that he would end up back on the Lakers because this organization is so devoted to Kobe Bryant. Like, so much like Rob Blinka is here because of Kobe Bryant. Jeannie Buss adores Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant hated Dwight Howard so very much. Mm. And the fact that they would bring in Dwight Howard, I'm not saying that this is like a reason you shouldn't bring in Dwight Howard, just thought process. Um, 
the fact that they would bring in Dwight Howard knowing the animosity that existed in 2012-13 between the two of those players, and even further beyond, like, all the trash talk they engaged in when Dwight was in Houston, I didn't think the Lakers could overcome all of that bad history. So when they had the workouts, you know, with Spates and Joe Noah, and I think they even, like, checked in on Martin Gortat, um, all of those names seemed pretty uninspiring, but... I never really considered that Howard would be the guy that they brought in. It just never made sense to me. And then when they signed him, it was like, oh, right. The Lakers don't do anything that makes sense. <laughs> so, And then it made perfect sense. And then it made perfect sense, right? I mean, from a regular season perspective, clearly Anthony Davis does not want to play center. And they needed somebody else who could play center for those minutes who they could basically say during the playoffs, we're not going to play you anymore, you know, assuming the Lakers make the playoffs. And he's he's better than Maurice Spates. You know, Spates doesn't really play defense. He's better than Gortat because having watched Gortat for half a season with the Clippers last year, definitely does not belong in the NBA anymore. Um, I would have preferred Joe Kim Noah. He looked better in Memphis last year. From what I understand, Noah and Kurt Rambis didn't get along in New York when they were with the Knicks. That's so perfect. And because Kurt Rambis and his wife are heavily involved in this current iteration of the Lakers, Noah was never a real candidate. Oh, my goodness. So, again, it makes sense in the fact that it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. So, was what's the uh, – does anybody know what the genesis of the Kobe-Dwight Howard beef was? Was it just like he was a guy that Kobe didn't like and so you're he's just forever going to be a guy that Kobe didn't like? So I think Kobe liked him when they traded for him. Like I, I remember reading the stories about when all those guys were in London for the 2012 Olympics and the trade went down. Kobe was just over the moon that they had, you know, the Lakers had acquired Dwight Howard. And, you know, he came in off of that back surgery that ended his season in Orlando. And I think it was fairly admirable. He tried to play immediately. He just wasn't quite right. And I mean, you've heard it pretty much every stop he's made since the Lakers in Houston and Charlotte and Atlanta. His personality just sort of grates on people. And I think Kobe just has less tolerance for that than just about any other human being in the world. So I think that that's just what happened, right? They like, just didn't get along and they didn't win. And Kobe tore his Achilles and it was just that was also the year that Jerry Buss died. And I mean, every single possible thing that could have gone wrong went wrong. And those negative associations just got pinned to Dwight Howard when he ended up leaving. So, I mean, I thought that the Lakers would never get over that, but apparently they've moved on. So is JaVale McGee going to play more than Dwight Howard, do you think? So... I've heard that the starting center competition is still alive between Dwight and JaVale. Uh, my instinct is that JaVale would play more, but I don't think it's going to be like a mark, like a mark, mark difference between the two of them. Like they're just sort of going to be center a and center a two. you know, like I don't think one is really that much better than the other. <laughs> well, and I just, I, and I guess, you know, it's, it's, this particular it's such it's such a strange lineup here but we have you know lebron james now he's going to play point guard and anthony davis who is a center refuses to play center and is going to mm -hmm. play. i mean it's just the whole thing is so mixed up yeah there's like 
there's a five-man lineup that I like for the Lakers that I could see closing playoff games that makes a lot of sense. And then everything else around that is just, why? You know? Like, <laughs> is this really a team that was constructed to, like, play in the Western Conference? <laughs> but at least they have that five, you know? At least that exists. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I, like, behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like, you've got Danny Green, who's just, like, the perfect LeBron James role player. I believe he started his career in Cleveland, too, so it's a nice little full-circle moment for Danny. Um, they've got, like, KCP, who's, you know, he can kind of shoot and play defense. It's maybe, maybe not. And then Kuzma plays in there when Davis chooses to play the five at the end of games. I think that lineup makes sense. You know, maybe you throw in, like, Alex Caruso instead of, either KCP or Kuzma, and then you get a little bit more ball handling. But there are there are five-man groups that make sense around Danny Green, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. It's just the rest of the roster is just completely illogical. Is LeBron really playing point guard? I mean, hasn't LeBron played point guard his entire I mean, career? yeah. Isn't that... <sighs> I think so you just have him, like, bring the ball up, and then you play him next to, like, a guy like Caruso who just guards point guard on the other team. Perfect. Yeah. More Caruso. Tara will be happy. Yes. We love Alex Caruso. <laughs> I think he just uh, posted on Instagram like the other day that there were these like photoshopped images mm-hmm. of him working out that went viral, right? Yeah. <laughs> he got a drug test from the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wouldn't that be funny if he really did show up all like super like Mike Bibby buff? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Bibby buff. <laughs> That is a tremendous reference. <laughs> that would be a, that would be amazing. Yeah, Alex Caruso was the lone bright spot on the Lakers season last year. Lone bright spot. I'm very glad they still have him around. Yeah, they need to keep the one bright spot alive. Um, so after LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and clearly Caruso, who do you think is going to be the next most important players on the team? <laughs> Uh, I would say Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma. So Green, he's not exactly the type of wing defender that the Lakers need. I I would prefer that they had somebody a little bit bigger, like maybe Andre (laughs) Guadalla-sized. But if he can shoot the way he did in Toronto last year, like he's quite perfect for the role that the Lakers need him to play because no one on the Lakers could shoot threes last year. And they they kind of play defense, but not really. And Danny Green's just an excellent team defender. And then Kuzma, I mean, I think the Lakers expected DeMarcus Cousins to fill that third star role, but obviously that's no longer the case for a variety of reasons. Um, But Kuzma really needs to step in and sort of be the hub of that bench unit now, like that microwave score that comes, you know, the sixth man. And if he embraces that role, then that significantly raises the ceiling of what the Lakers can be so they don't have to wear out LeBron and Anthony Davis during the course of the regular season. Is there anything else we should be watching for for the Lakers this season? I think just what happens with the back end of their rotation. Like, there's so many players on the Lakers that I don't think any other team would touch with, like, a 10-foot pole. Like, Avery Bradley was so bad on the Clippers last year, just unbelievably bad. And then he had maybe 10 good games in Memphis, and I was like, oh, Maybe it was just the Clippers. What was it about the Clippers last season that would make you think, oh, this is a place where people don't succeed? Yeah. Like everybody had the best time of their life with the Clippers last year. It was this universally happy environment. The people around the league were praising, but 
for some reason, Lakers are like, oh, no, Avery Bradley just got a raw deal there. We're going to give him another shot. And then there's Rajon Rondo, who this is what the first time in six years that he's actually starting a season on the same team that he ended it with last year, which I <laughs> feel like should say something. <laughs> but maybe not. Um, you know, Quinn Cook, I like. He's he got a nice little shine in Golden State. I think like that's the kind of role player you take a chance on because he's young. He can shoot. Maybe a guy like Frank Vogel, who's a really good defensive coach, can coax mm-hmm. a little bit out of him on that end. But then like Troy Daniels, who I think the shining moment of Troy Daniels' career is hitting a shot against Portland five years ago in a series that Houston didn't even win. Uh, <laughs> there's just so many pieces of this roster that like you could cut out players nine to fifteen, and I think they would be just as good. I mean, so in a couple years ago, LeBron James dragged a team that was kind of similar to this one, (laughs) you know, to a championship. Mm -hmm. And and now he has, I'm trying to like look at this from a positive angle. And now he has, you know, Anthony Davis. And I think even in that champ, that, that year of the championship run, there were lots of times where we were watching Cleveland going, Ooh, I don't know if this is going to work. And he still managed, you know, to make it all work. What have you seen in LeBron James, like before he came to Los Angeles and like since he's been in L.A., what have you seen in him that uh, might convince you that he could do the same thing with this team? So I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, but if and you know when the Lakers get to the playoffs, a shortened rotation for this team I could see succeeding because, like you said, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's a two-man punch that I don't think anybody in the NBA can beat. I don't even think the Clippers' two-man punch is better than LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So when you have the two best players on the court and they can play for 40 minutes a pop, that covers up a lot of those deficiencies. I just think that this regular season could be a real slog watching some of the other players take the court just to fill out, you know, 82 games. And we learned last year that, like, it takes a lot to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. Like, I think the Clippers won 48 games last year. It's not just – I think that's how many games the Cavaliers won when they made the finals in 2018. It was, like, 49 games. Uh So, you know, not not everybody makes the playoffs in the West. It's it's probably going to get even harder because, you know, the Kings think they're in it. The Pelicans think they're in it. And I'm sure the Mavericks are trying to make the playoffs, too, like – Never forget the Spurs. Never forget the Spurs, right? All the other teams that still made it last year, right? Uh, so the depth just just isn't there for this team. And it's not like they can just coast to a four seed because they're in the Eastern Conference. Like, the Western Conference is brutal. It's just brutal. And once it comes to the postseason, like, I think I'll have much sunnier colored glasses on, you know. But in terms of these 82 games, the minutes that the Lakers are going to have to require from the likes of Rondo and McGee and Dwight Howard and KCP like doesn't exactly inspire a ton of confidence, especially when you have this like internecine drama with Jason Kidd eyeing Frank Vogel's, you know, <laughs> and like nobody around the league trusts doing business with Rob Palinka. <laughs> like I don't know how the Lakers can meaningfully improve their team unless you know Memphis just like gifts Andre Guadala in a buyout, but. If they get to the playoffs and, like, you know, healthy and in one piece, that's a team I can get behind. For these 82 games, I think it's going to be 
slightly more unpleasant to watch. That's a, a really interesting point, but I, I totally get it. Like, yeah. if they can make it through there, you know, then and then you can get 40 minutes a game out of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, then, yeah, they can go up against anybody. But the difficulty of getting to that is going to be so steep. Man, it's going to be a fascinating season. I wish they would do hard knocks, but do it about the Lakers. <laughs> I think there'd be too much information, just like... I guess that's what they do on the shop then, you know, all the extra Laker talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much going on. I'm going to lob one other question uh, at you, and I, like, didn't really prepare this for you. So, like, if you don't have an answer, that's, like, totally fine. But have you um, been uh, – had your eye on seeing any of the things that Portland did over the summer that you think are particularly interesting? I am fascinated by everything Portland did over the summer. <laughs> So I mean, we. so much money for Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, which I get. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of eggs are in the Anthony Simons basket. Um, a lot of eggs in the Rodney Hood basket too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Alpha Rucamino, just one of my all time favorites. <sighs> I'm with him on that team. Me too. And it's it's going to be weird seeing Whiteside in that starting lineup. Very very weird. I mean, who are they starting at power forward? Like Zach Collins? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, that's what the word is around here. It's a strange setup that Portland has going on. But, I mean, I I just trust Terry Stotts during the regular season so much, like, just to make those pieces work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they get such good development out of their young players. Like, I'm excited to see what Gary Trent can do because, you know, I'm a Duke Duke Blue Devil as well. Um, But, yeah, it's it's such a weird offseason. (laughs) Like, there was this this format that you were familiar with, with the Blazers for like the last four seasons, you know, those two guards and Harkless and Aminu and Nurkic. And I mean, obviously like it's out of their hands that Nurkic can't play at the start of the season, but that four rotation is so strange. Well, and the weird thing about it too, is like, like you're right. They've been like so, so, so consistent, Mm -hmm. but every single player that they brought on is a player that they've made a move to try to acquire in other seasons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everyone, maybe, <laughs> maybe Tolliver wasn't, but mm. Gasol and Bazemore and Whiteside and Hazonia are all people who have been associated with Blazers in the past. Even, like with Hazonia last year, the one time that Woj made a mistake, he accidentally tweeted out that the Blazers were signing Mario Hazonia <laughs> two seasons ago, and we were all like, "What?" And then two seconds <laughs> later, he was like, "You know, cancel that, make that the Knicks," and we were like, "Oh, oh." Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's weird that like they've they've had a consistent roster, but they've also had like their eye really consistently on certain players, and it just happened that they were able to finally all get them over on the. That's team. so interesting. I know, and I'm guessing yeah. it's because like I think they think that their skill sets, you know, can slide in with what their um you know what their plans are, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, the fact that they all happened at once, it was kind of like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? What's the Blazers past? I had totally forgotten about Bazemore, too. That's a. Uh, he can't play next to Damon CJ. Yeah, well, we'll see. Isn't <laughs> I mean, it? Well, they have, I mean, they've done a lot of three guard lineup over. Yeah, I guess the last. they did Murray with the two of them last year a lot. Yeah, and they've done it with, um, who was, who'd they do it with before? Shabazz. Oh, right. Napier, that's right. Yeah. So what do you think about Whiteside? I've never been a big fan. 
I mean, although I would have preferred the Lakers signed him instead of Mozgov in 2016, but, you know, that's, that's not, that's like gaming with faint praise. Um, <laughs> I think uh, if anyone can really get him like that attitude in check, it's, it's Dame. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing how like, you know, they used to bring in all these head cases to Cleveland because LeBron said that he could get them straightened out. Like you kind of have that luxury in Portland that Lillard sets the tone so well that you can bring in these players who may have had difficulty elsewhere and trust that you're going to get the best out of them because Lillard holds them accountable. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in that sense, like he's incredibly talented. Like there's definitely a lot of upside there. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, like there's, there's so many interesting things that the the Blazers have, like that depth is, is fascinating. You can go, those lineups can go in so many different directions I feel like every like they just took the NBA and put it in a bag and just like shook it up and then just <laughs> dumped it on the table and then everybody just went and grabbed their pieces. <laughs> yeah, nobody, just, nobody's teams make a ton of sense together. Yeah, like something about this year is just like like I was looking at the schedule and I was like the Blazer the Blazers schedule is just weird this year. There's like not one part of it that I can get like you know really excited about or really upset about. It's just kind of like. Oh, that's a perfectly reasonable schedule. <laughs> you know, it just like, I don't know. There's just a lot of, uh, of weird things uh, about this year. And maybe it's just because this offseason, and we knew going into this offseason, you know, o- like over half of the league, I think, was up for free agency. Mm-hmm. So we knew that there was going to be a lot of of movement. But I just, I don't know if we were expecting what happened. <laughs> I didn't expect I I was completely expecting Kawhi Leonard to go to the Clippers, but I was not expecting five seconds later to find out Paul George was going to. Yeah, that's a moment I'm not gonna forget for a very long time. Just the What were you doing? Summer. I was I was at a Mexican restaurant actually. <laughs> eating tacos. <laughs> tacos. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I, I saw the news that Kawhi came and I was like, all right. That's about right. And then the Paul George package was like, wait, like, how many picks? <laughs> yeah. It just got weirder and weirder. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap it up now. Uh, Cassie, do you have anything else you want to ask Sabrina? I think that's it. I mean, I can't even go down my Sparks journey. So we will leave it for another day. <laughs> get a WNBA team in Portland. And then we could talk. So sports. bad. Bring back the fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had one team for 2000 to 2001. Beautiful year. It was wonderful. Yeah. You guys have the NWSL team. I'm waiting for one of those in LA. They're great. We do love them. Well, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us tonight to uh, talk all about all kinds of things going on in Los Angeles. It's certainly going to be a fascinating year, and it's great to have uh, to be connected with you because you are so busy writing so many things for so many different uh, platforms. Why don't you go ahead and tell folks where they can find your work? So I think the easiest way to find my work is just follow me on Twitter at Sabrina JM. And you can find all the things I read about the Lakers, the Clippers, the Sparks, and just WNBA, NBA as a whole over there. Right on. Let's see. You can find uh, our podcast at Hoops and Talks on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast, uh, the Blazers Edge podcast feed. Subscribe to that and you'll get two podcasts a week, the Blazers Edge weekly podcast. And once a week, you'll also get women's Hoops and Talks. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And Cassidy, do you want to go ahead and take us out of here? 
You can find me at Cassidy Gemmett, and we love your emails. Send us your emails with icebreaker ideas, questions, or whatever you want to know. Our email is hoopsandtalks at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Bye.